Hey, welcome to the Get Offset Podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Andrew. I'm Brian. And today, we're going to have a little conversation with our friend Brian, as you've just heard, from Spruce Effects. Yay. Yay. Yeah. Well, thanks for uh, joining us on kind of short notice today, Brian. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. It's nice to to have um, a guest who's also on the West Coast because time zones aren't really a thing. And I'm always happy to have someone from California on the show because I spent most of my childhood there. Yeah, California is pretty great um, in some ways. In some. It has its perks. Yeah. I feel like my cat knows when we start recording because she always seems to, to come up and beg for my attention when I'm sitting on the floor. She knows you're interacting with others and wants you to pay attention. That is classic jealousy. Yeah. Classic Carrie. <laughs> my cats suck. I wish they would try and cuddle with me more, but they don't. Are they your uh, partner's cats? Your wife's cats? We got them together. But which one, which person do they love more? Her, for sure. Yeah, they're her cats. Yeah, so I guess like technically they're our cats, but really they're her cats. Yeah, that's the boat I'm in. I, uh, Our cat is our family cat, and I get flack whenever I say, hey, honey, can you feed your cat? But the reality is, is it, it is her cat because that cat cuddles with her anytime she's home. And then when my wife is out, cat is not as nice to me. And uh, yeah, definitely just waiting for mama to come home. Yeah. Yeah. My cat likes Rick. Um, she'll she'll snuggle with him when I'm still in bed because he wakes up a lot earlier than I do for work. So uh, sometimes she'll come downstairs in the morning and. And love on him a little bit. Uh, I think try to convince him to feed her, which doesn't always work. Um, play a little bit of laser. And uh, then he leaves and she comes right back up to bed and waits for me to wake up. Aw, that's sweet. I think I feed my cats more frequently. So wouldn't that mean that they would like recognize that I'm providing them? Or are they too smart and they know that I'm just like the smelly imposter? I think that when you feed them, they think that you're weak. Oh, that's there's a plot twist. Yeah. Well, they never see you with anything that you kill. Right. <laughs> that's true. Maybe I, maybe that's what I'm missing. I need to kill something in order for my cat to respect me. You just need to throw <laughs> a dead rat at her. It is it a boy cat or a girl cat that you have, Andrew? It's a she. Her name is Poppy. Poppy. That's cute. I have a funny um, cat um, gender story if, if we had a minute to talk about it. We definitely have a minute to talk about okay. that. That is a topic I'm excited about. Okay, so our second cat, um, whose name is Bodie, um, we got a message from a random person I knew in high school, and they said someone like dumped a kitten in our backyard. We need a, a home for it. Like it's it's not doing well and blah blah blah. And so I was like, you know what? I want a second cat. And I don't know what I was thinking. I was probably I probably drank too much. But we said we'd take the cat. And this person came and drove all the way from Sacramento, which is like a couple hours away, and brought us this little kitten. And we were really excited. And she had taken she being my um, friend from high school had taken the cat to get checked out at the vet. And the vet said. It was a boy, and it was about this old, and it was 
you know, a little underweight and blah, 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 and whatever, it'll get better. And so we, we took the cat in and, you know, sort of started raising it. And, and then when it was time to get neutered, we set the neuter appointment because um, it was really little when we got it. And this is, I don't know, maybe like five months later. And we take the, the cat into the, to the vet and for the neuter and the, the vet tech comes in is like inspecting him and whatever. And then like lifts up its tail and is like, huh, this is a boy cat. And I said, yeah, it's a, it's a male. And then she said, hmm, it's actually a female. And so like in one second after the vet tech told me that I had this like massive, like sort of, I don't want to call it like a flashback, but like all of these like images of like reality were going through my head. Like everything had that I had known was untrue and like everything was like crumbling and I couldn't like sort of wrap my head around it. Um, I like to call those twilight zone moments. Yeah, it was like that. And then, and then the vet tech didn't think it was a big deal. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like we've been calling it he, and like we named it Bodie and blah, 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 blah. And she was like, Oh, it's no big deal. We're just doing a spay today. And I was like, okay. And that's it. That's my cat gender story. You know, there was a warrior princess whose name was, um, Mulan. No, it was, um, something like Bodie. Moana? No, no, no. It's, um, I forget who exactly I can, I can send it to you later, Brian, but my neighbors, every time they get a pet, they name it after a warrior princess. Oh. And, um, this one was named after Bodica, Boudica, Ooh. sorry, Boudica. And, um, there's, I think there's a drunk history about Boudica. Ooh. So, I mean, it's actually a feminine name. Boom. That's funny. Cause we named him slash her after Bodega Bay, which is where we got married. So it wasn't even like the name Bodhi as in like, oh, we were thinking about boy names. We we name our animals after places that are important to us. Aww. And so we were just, it was just short for Bodega. <laughs> that's oh, all. Oh, that's cute. But yeah. hey, now you don't have to feel so bad about it because she has a very badass um, warrior princess name. Yeah. If it makes you feel any better, my eye, our cat named poppy we named just because poppy is the state flower of california we just thought it was kind of cute and sounded feminine enough and i went to work uh the next day after we got after we named poppy i was like guys look at my look at my cute kitty it's named poppy and my coworker, without missing a beat went i poppy <laughs> just forever ruined for me and so i'm still recovering from I, that i think that's funny i like that yeah Every once in a while, I'll say that and I'll get a glare from my wife. Yeah, I <laughs> chuckle and then she chuckles and yeah. As long as everyone's chuckling, I guess that's good. Yeah, as long as it's not bad. I mean, it's it's like that kind of um, piece of advice. Like, don't tell anyone what you're thinking of naming your kid because they're going to say something like, oh, just like so-and-so. And then it's going to be ruined for you. Right. Yeah. Like, oh, Donald would be a great name. Uh, oh. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. Duck. That's what right. I was thinking. Well, um, Brian, why don't you tell us a, a little bit about yourself and your company? Sure. Um, so should I start with age, sex, location? ASL. That's the best way to start any conversation. Okay. Do you really um, want to start with the age part? I mean, I'm like a pretty, I'm at an age where I don't feel like embarrassed to say my age, be, be it either because I'm too young or too old. I think I'm at like a medium age. So, but actually the that might offend people who are young or older if I tell them how old I am. Huh. We don't I mean, care. I'm already offended. I'm not. Yeah. 
Okay. You've earned that. You've earned that DGAF. <laughs> yeah, I'm 34. I don't DGAF. I was gonna say it. Are you glad I didn't? Uh, I DGAF. <laughs> <laughs> See what you did there. Pretty good. I'm glad. Um, yeah, we're. I'm located in California, obviously. I think actually most people probably knew all those things except my age. Now they probably think I just wanted to say how old I was. No, that's actually what we brought you onto the podcast to talk about. It was purely about that. We we're actually moving on to um, a, a podcast about ageist ethics. <laughs> yeah, I run my business. Um, <laughs> sorry, I won't go into that. Um, yeah. So, anyways, I'm in California, Bay Area. Um, I've I grew up here, lived in California most of my life, but I was born on the East Coast, which some people don't seem to be able to wrap their heads around. Um, and yeah, I run Spruce Effects with my wife. We're a little, little tiny company and we make mostly dirt pedals and yeah, it's a lot of fun. We do some pretty interesting stuff, I think. And we just released a new pedal called the Gale. It's a distortion fuzz. It's like a pretty unique circuit design. I mean, some people probably listen to it and be like, that sounds like every fuzz I've ever heard. And that's cool too, but it's pretty interesting as far as like what's happening inside of it um, no i mean i i mean this this episode probably won't air until the new year but um today as we're recording this you just released that demo with demos in the dark and, yeah that was that was by um coincidence yeah. yeah and i kind of can't believe that all of those guitar parts were recorded with the same pedal yeah it's um i think the coolest part and I'll give a shout out to my friend John Snyder at Electronic Audio Experiments. He helped me design it. He, um, like in the final revision, he gave me this. I he actually said you should do this. It's really cool. And he was kind of experimenting with it on his end. Um, and it was to sort of tie this input gain stage, so like a, a pre gain sort of situation, like you've seen on other pedals, and just tie it to the same control as the main um, gain stage. And so, like, as you turn up the gain, it's not like a linear sort of like, oh, we're just getting a little bit more fuzzy or distorted in a predictable way. Like, actually, you're f making the input um, hotter as well as um, the clipping section. And it, and it does a really cool thing um, as you go up in the knob. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, but, yeah, that demos in the dark demo is like, I don't know, he just crushed it and then the other two demos we did with jay leonard J and collector emitter it's like you can't even tell it's the same pedal and, and i'm really happy how they all turned out which is kind of the point i guess of having multiple demos is that you can do a bunch of different stuff with the pedal so. yeah it really shows off the whole range of what it can do and yeah i'm, I'm actually thinking maybe i need to get my hands on one of those just because partially because i love the artwork partially because my grandma's name is gail and partially because it just sounds killer oh and i like uh, being i like dynamic pedals that can get a whole range of sounds yeah you know, something super boring cool yeah um the artwork was actually done by a a czech tattoo artist um that i randomly connected with oh sick i was gonna yeah i was gonna say it looks yeah. like an old sailor tattoo it's so funny i i built this um i did this pedal called the yeti machine and i it was a commission for a custom thing from a friend and he was like I want a Yeti on this pedal. And I was like, okay, that's, that's cool, I guess. And then I said, I, I can't draw a Yeti. Just find a picture and I'm going to like find the artist who drew it and then ask them for permission. 
And so he found this random Yeti. It was like on the first page of Google image searches. And he's like, yeah, this one's cool. So I hunted it down and it was this, this woman in, um, um, in the Czech Republic. And I contacted her and it, we had a language barrier, but she was cool with me using the artwork. And it was a tattoo that, that she had done. She did a tattoo series of like all the letters of the English alphabet and Y was a Yeti. And it turned out it was just a really cool Yeti. And then I asked her if she did custom work and she said, sure. And I, so I commissioned her to do the Gale graphics. And it was funny because we couldn't really communicate that easily, but I was like, I just want like a pirate ship getting jacked up in a storm. And I think I maybe used the F word there, but, um, and then she was like, okay, cool. And then like a week later, she sends me this hand drawing on just like white paper through email. And I was like, this is perfect. And I had to mess with it in Illustrator and stuff, but, um, it, I thought it turned out really cool. Ugh, okay, now now I have to buy it. Yeah, well, you just did a, and this is going to be irrelevant to listeners, but um, we just were doing a giveaway for it with demos in the dark. I don't know if you saw that. I just shared it on Instagram. Sick. Did you tag two of your friends? No, I don't feel like I should be eligible to win it. Okay. Oh, I see. Buy I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I want. I want to. I'm sorry. I'm just looking at your website right now. The tree Malo fuzz sounds so up my alley. I am, I'm so in love with Trimolo. Yeah, I did that with the Tone Mob. Um, that was like, you know how Tone Mob does like little custom collaboration mm-hmm. things. Are yeah. they doing the Demogorgon, or they just did the Demogorgon? Yeah, they did the Demogorgon. Yeah, um, and they did some a bunch of other stuff. I did. They did one with Tomcat that was really cool. They did like a muff that was, um, like pretty cool new old stock components that they found um the tremolo fuzz was a lot of fun we only made like 12, 12 of them i think yeah, yeah. the website oh, was what? 12 yeah it was crazy small and they they sold out pretty fast um but i am talking to blake about doing another version of it oh um, man i'd be so into that please do that yeah. i actually sent him the prototype for the tremolo side like a month ago and we're we're chatting it up oh. so that was, I, and I know I'm such a nerd for the the steel guitar, but I feel like that would sound so cool with my steel guitar. Yeah. Ugh. We had a joke um, about like the fuzz side. I was like, I don't really have the bandwidth to design something totally new. Like, what do you want? And we were just talking and we started this joke about like this idea of game juice. <laughs> like, <laughs> like <laughs> if you could drink gain, like the more gain you drink, like, I don't know the fuzzier you're, you would become. and But why would anyone drink gain when they have Tide Pods? Come on. Yeah. yeah, and kids are jeweling these days and Tide Podding and all kinds of stuff. Like, I want them to get their heads straight and just start drinking gain juice. That's yes, what I want. That's, what they, that's, that's probably healthier. Well, there's an energy drink called Amp. What if they just drink that instead? They could. Or, that's definitely music-related. Remember That's when, Mountain Dew, I think, yeah. right? I think so. Uh, I, I, think I think it's, think it's so. Some, it's something along those lines. Which yeah. I think is probably Pepsi, but I don't know. I don't really remember a whole lot. Middle school was a long time ago. Yeah. They didn't have AMP when I was in middle school because, like I said at the beginning, I'm 34 years old. Um, did, they have red, decade on me. did they have Red Bull? Because that was the big, I mean, for me, high school thing was getting amped on no. Red Bull. I don't think we had energy drinks. Like... No, those I think energy drinks started becoming a like a fad when I was probably middle school. I don't know what year was that. Uh, I would have started middle school in two thousand 
2005. Okay, I graduated high school in 2002. Yep, so there it is. So you just drank a lot of coffee in college? Me? I actually, I don't know. I don't think I really started drinking caffeine until I was out of college. Actually, same, oh, wow. same for me, to be honest. I was the person who, like, I had a boyfriend in college, and he would always complain about how he had to stay up all night, and then he was groggy in the morning. I said, why don't you just do what I do? And he's like, what yeah. do you do? I'm like, I go to bed at 10, I wake up early, and I do my homework when I'm rested. And this is also the same person who broke up with me because I was smarter than him. That's one of the reasons he gave. Yikes. He was threatened by your intelligence? Well, he said, um, I think the thing was, like, the roundabout way of him saying that was um, his course load was going to be very significant. And I pointed out it was the same course load that I was taking. And he said, it's just easier for you which I kind of took as a compliment, but also he was breaking up with me, so I cried also. Huh. You know what? Best thing that ever happened to me. I was going to say, it sounds like you got the better end of the deal there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my husband right now, my, well, my my husband for the rest of my life is kind of the best human I've ever oh. met, so. Yeah. yeah. Would he complain about his course load being more difficult, even though it was the same as yours? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> <laughs> but he wouldn't break up Alrighty. with me for it. Right. Yeah. That's what marriage is. It's he's a developer type. We 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 were um we went to college together too, my husband and I, and we had the same major. Um I mean, I don't know Rick, were you on the Dean's list? He was also on the Dean's list, so he's a pretty smart guy. So you have to be on the Dean's list to be smart? Well, I don't know. If that's the case, then uh, I'm out of the running here. Yeah, I'm dumb if that's I might just be the stupidest person on planet Earth. I mean, I was in the honors program and I graduated magna cum laude, so. Is that how you say that? Um, I think so. Oh. It's, I, don't, I don't think it's Lottie. I know a lot of people say Lottie, but I don't think it yeah. is. But I think it's kind of like the, like, do you say Porsche or Porsche? Um, I don't know. I don't say that word very often, so. I, Porsche. Yeah. Porsche. Yeah, I, I, I think say I say Porsche. Porsche. I say Porsche. Can, I, I, I can say Toyota pretty well. I'm familiar with that one. I can say yeah. Ford, which is what I drive. Yeah. Actually, yeah, I just call it, I call it Dora, our Explorer. Oh. Like the movie, like the children's movie? I think it's a television show. Dora the Explorer? Oh, that's right. I was thinking of um, Lilo and Stitch. Sorry. That is a movie. That's a Disney yeah. movie, and Dora is, is a Nickelodeon yeah. show. Right. I have officially lost track. Fellows, we are 20 minutes in and we haven't uh, thanked our sponsor and I, we have a new sponsor and I wanted Andrew to talk about our sponsor. Yeah, I would love to. Our sponsor for today's show is, goes by the name Phil Sakanashi. Dude is a legend. I've been friends with him for golly. Known him since 2012, so going on six years now. He's a great dude. He runs a small company called Tasty Cables. Uh, They are tasty indeed. Uh, the rumors are true. He does have great taste in tacos as well. Um, but seriously, if you're in, especially if you're in Southern California, he does cables. He does custom board uh, cabling. He does uh, name a cable. He does it and he does it well. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I know few people who have the kind of work ethic that he does. He doesn't half-ass anything. So I really could not recommend him enough. I'm a little biased because I've been friends with him for a while and he's just a great dude. And he's been so kind to me and my family for, through a lot of ups and downs, but I mean, 
I'm also saying this just completely unbi- as unbiased as I can. He does do good, great stuff uh, and it's great prices. So check him out. Hit him up on his Instagram. Give him a follow. Give him some love. And what was He's that great. name again? Tasty Cables. Tasty Cables? Tasty Cables. Tasty Cables. They have a really cool mug. Oh, they do? Yeah, I think I'm going to buy some cables and also see if I can get one of these mugs. We'll talk to Andrew first. Okay. Yeah, Andrew, can I get a mug? I want a mug. I don't have enough mugs. I have a hundred. I'll hit up Phil. I'll shoot him a text message. Cool. So, well, hey, let's get into uh, today's topic now that we're a full 20 minutes into the episode. 21 minutes. Thank you very much. 21 and 19, 20, 21, 22 seconds. All right. So we're going to talk about uh, a topic today. And Emily and I were talking about it earlier this week and we started to get into it, but we didn't get into it entirely. We just have vague ideas of where we, how we feel about this subject, but uh, that came up with the, the subject came to be when we talked about uh, the, this whole idea that musicians uh, get upset with people who are successful and immediately say that they're a sellout. And I think we were like, well, what exactly does selling out mean? Is selling out even a thing? Do we see that in the gear industry? And oh, absolutely. I've seen so many people say, oh yeah, so-and-so from this company is a total sellout. We're like, what does that mean? Yeah. And Andrew, when you first mentioned this, um, I think my response was, I have strong feelings about this. And I think they weren't what you were expecting from someone who worked at Beggars Group, Matador Records, has worked with indie labels, worked with indie festivals, um, and independent artists. And yeah, so I don't think that my thoughts are really what you would have expected. Yeah, it definitely took me aback a little bit, and I, I don't know if I agree with you, but I also think we might agree more than I think. I don't know. This is going to be fun. This is going to be a great conversation. We're going to dig into this. Brian is also going to join us for yes. uh, as, as co-host for the section. We're going to have a conversation, the three of us, and really get into this. Yeah. Well, I mean, if we're talking about musicians, this coming from me, who's just on the south end of 30, um, and has... I know a lot of musicians and um, I mean, when I was 15, if a musician I liked was on a commercial, I would have totally thought they were a sellout. Like, Oh, Oh no. Oh, this is awful. But now Taylor so- Swift. <laughs> I love, you know what? I love Taylor Swift. Let's save that for another day. But um, <laughs> I actually agree with you, but we'll, we'll save like, that for another day. I don't day. think people remember that like Ryan Adams was in a commercial for like the gap in 2002 or three, like right after gold came out. Um, Barf. He was doing, yeah. he was doing something with little, I think it was Willie Nelson. They were doing a Hank Williams song and you know, I loved Ryan Adams. So I was excited to see him on television. And this was coming from, from like my, my uh, self-defined punk aesthetic. And uh, I think kind of from that point on, I felt like as an artist, you need to do what you need to do to enable yourself to create more art. And sometimes that's doing commercials. Like it, like you got to get paid and um, otherwise no one's going to hear your stuff. You're not going to be able to continue to keep making it. And that's sort of the, the base of what I believe is that as an artist, um, do the commercials, do the things if it's what enables you to continue to make your art. But I will say, um, 
when you start pandering, that's when I just lose interest. And I don't even know if I consider it selling out, but I do consider it uninteresting, if that makes sense. All right, Brian, I'm going to throw you, I'm going to throw you to the wolves and I want to hear what you have to say before I, I give my impassioned speech on what I think is selling out and who's doing it. Sure. I actually have a question. Um, so if you're thinking about like levels of fame and notoriety, like, so Ryan Adams, for example, like the fact that the gap approached him means that he's already got like an existing he had an existing sort of like pull or draw or or influence so like how i'm asking emily this question and this is probably not going to make any sense so i apologize but like like why did he have to do that in order to keep creating the art that he was making right like could like was it he looked at his bank account and said if i don't do this you know x dollars um, paying gap commercial. I'm not going to be able to finance my next record because the last one didn't sell well. Or was it more like, Hey, gap approached me. I've got like kind of a recognized name now and they want me to do this thing and I can make a fair bit amount of money doing it. And like, whatever, I don't really care. So I'm curious, like, is it more like what's the line between I need to feed, like put food on the table and be able to fund my next project. And Hey, I'm famous now. And I, I, I'm worth some money. I'm going to take as much money as I can get out of this. Well, it like um, I think well it's like the I, chicken and the egg. Let, That's all. Let me talk. Um, yes, please. So in 2002 or whenever this came out, Ryan had like some success with gold, but he was mm-hmm. still very much considered a new artist. It would, it wasn't so much like, Oh, here's this person who has this pool so much as I think the whole campaign was pairing an established artist with a newer artist. So I think Willie Nelson was the other person in this ad. And mm-hmm, Willie Nelson yeah. was the one with the pool in this. Oh, day. so Willie Nelson is a sellout. Willie Nelson could do whatever he wants, Andrew. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you heard me. Um, and like, we don't record the the pre-show on this, but um, when I was getting up to take to to get pour my 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 gin and elderflower tonic drink with a slice of lemon, um. Mm. I was talking to my husband and I was like, did Willie Nelson write this terrible song that he sings sometimes? <laughs> like Willie <laughs> Nelson sings some bad songs. He writes some great ones, but um, he sings some bad ones. So, I mean, but Willie Nelson is a legend. I feel like once you reach that status of like Willie Nelson or Johnny Cash, and I love classic country, uh, Waylon Jennings, Merle Haggard, Loretta Lynn, like, I think you're past Towns selling Vans, out. Yeah. Towns, well, rest in peace. He never sold out. No, he didn't. He died. He died too young. <laughs> yeah. His estate might have sold out, but I don't think you can sell out at that level either because you are a your legend. Yeah, I am legend. Great movie. Uh, the Great. comic was better. That, it just ruined that Bob Marley song for me, though. Which Bob Marley song? Don't worry. Okay, edit that out, please. No, no, no. Um, I'm not gonna edit that out. <laughs> Keep it. Keep going. Yeah. Um. No, I'll, I'll. I actually like to sing that song to my my kids sometimes, and uh, I don't know if I could ever watch I Am Legend again because Will Smith, like, spoiler alert, but the movie's been out for so long, I really don't care. Uh, he like sings that to his dog all the time, and then he has to like kill his dog at some point in the movie. And it's ah! just like, oh, why, why? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's a 
that's a heartbreaker. But let's hear Brian's perspective on, yes. on selling out. Yeah, that's um let's see. Okay. I this is funny because um I don't know if you all use Spotify, but like they they just, you know, they do their year end like totals and like have this cool little dashboard where you can see like who your top artists were and I actually like ran this morning just listening to like my Spotify generated like most frequently listened to artists and it was like oh every song was great and it was it was cool but i noticed on social media this week a lot of um like artists were posting their like artist dashboard and it tells them how many plays they had total how many like hours of listening in how many different countries and i was like scrolling through like these like you know medium well-known to like very well-known artists and they were like oh yeah i had you know, 80 million plays. And then I was like thinking, oh, you know, how much does Spotify pay out for like a play? And then so I started Googling and I'm sure listeners or you guys have been interested in this topic, but it's like not very much, obviously. It's like a third of a penny per play, I think. Yeah, like three, like like point zero zero three eight dollars um, is like the, the average. And there are all these memes being posted of like F Spotify, they made so much money and they're screwing over the artists and blah, blah, blah. And it just, I don't know. I was thinking a lot about this sort of idea of like, if you're going to do art as your work and like, you should be paid for it. But at the same time, I sort of feel like don't bite the hand that feeds. Like if you're getting paid not very much from Spotify but they're, you know, generating 10 million plays. That's not like an income to live off of necessarily. Um, that's like just, a, that should be a component of how you're leveraging your art to, to make a living. And I think like if you make the choice to do art for a living, there's also like this business component. You're working for yourself. And I'm not sure that I know like at what point do you become a sellout? Like, that's I fair. I think as an art consumer, it's really easy to like say, oh, that band sold out at that album because like I d it didn't resonate with me anymore. But at the same time, like there's this business side, like you would have never even heard of that artist if there had not been like a way for you to consume their art unless you were like right. hyper vigilant, I guess. Like there are some people who are like finding and discovering the newest, coolest like garage bands who eventually make it or maybe not that, but are doing really cool stuff. But like for the average consumer, of music it's sort of like i'm thankful that spotify exists because i'm a huge fan of like five new bands this year just because like they had some you know like nerdy programmer like create this algorithm to like tell me what i might like based off of what i've listened to already yeah and that's such a cool and wonderful and beautiful thing that used to be done um by the radio and people listen to the radio at at work and not just in the car um and I, I like I have a love hate relationship with Spotify as someone who has music on Spotify. Um, it doesn't pay like almost anything, but yeah, neither did labels really. Right. I think that if you were like a successful artist, you would get maybe ten cents per every album sold and nothing on subsequent listens. Um, yeah. I just feel like if if you are the kind of person who 
is one to accuse or believe in the idea of selling out, then you need to find those artists you love. You need to buy their records and not just listen on Spotify. You need to buy their merch. You need to go to their shows. You need to shout them out. You need to buy you need to buy their CDs and gifts gift them. I'm sorry, do people still buy CDs? I do, but I, I get don't. a lot of flack for it. I I don't buy CDs because I don't really have a way to play them outside of my car. Same. I don't even have a CD player in my car. I don't have I, a, I don't own a CD player. All my computers don't have a disc. My my hi I'm um, sorry, I'm dating myself. My hi fi has a CD player, but we mostly use the hi fi for the um turntable. <laughs> Same. Yeah, and I don't have a. Com I actually, my work computer has um, a CD-ROM drive. My, my personal computer doesn't. It's a. You know what? I'm. I'm. I thought I'd be really excited to have that CD-ROM drive, but I've never actually put a disc in it. However, I do <laughs> accidentally open it every time I pick it up, which makes me so mad. Yeah. Yeah. That's hilarious. But I have um. My car is like a 2008, so it has uh, a CD player. Yeah. Your car doesn't have a CD player? Is it old or is it new, Brian? No, it's new. Oh my gosh. It's new. new cars don't have yeah. CD players? This is kind of like I guess my mine mind. doesn't. I don't know. It's just it's like it doesn't it doesn't have it. But it's not a Porsche. <laughs> no, I don't own a Porsche. Is no. it a Ford? Is it a Toyota? Is it another car name that we can pronounce? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. You can pronounce it. Fantastic. It's an American car. I'll leave it at that. Mm. Um so, the, so in this conversation, I'm thinking now, like I'm a huge Dave Bazan fan. I don't know if you guys are. Um, oh yeah, he not, played. Okay. Um, he played Timber the other year. He played the festival I worked awesome. for the other year. Yeah. So he's like, if I were to take a hard stance on this whole selling out thing, I think I would use him as like inspiration to inform, like, my idea of it's possible to, like, eke out a living and without selling out because i think he's done a really amazing job of like balancing the sort of brand but also like just doing whatever the f he wants like as far as like his art goes um and he's evolved and done tons of different stuff and some of it's worked great like as far as like making money and some of it hasn't but it's still like he tours constantly and sacrifices constantly to like keep going whereas i think a lot of medium famous artists like him like peter out because they didn't hit it big you know and that's like kind of maybe soul crushing i don't know i've never been like a musician right before. i mean if you're working so hard and that's your goal and you don't attain that like it yeah, yeah that's definitely all right boys it's time to pack it up right or like ah i don't really want to put in the effort to like take time off touring to write the new record and then that's your last that's your last tour because you're not making new stuff and for him, it's like he's evolved and like done all of these different cool things, but like sort of maintained his level of success without compromising what he set out to do originally, which I'm assuming, I don't know, um, is like, you know, make the music that he wants to make. Um, and I, I think that's like a pretty cool example of not selling out, but maybe not even having the opportunity to sell out, but also like finding that balance of, I can, I can do this for my life and my work. No, I, I definitely hear that. I think, uh, all right. So 
there's definitely parallels. If we tie this outside, um, move from music world into the gear community, yeah. there's definitely companies that fit that kind of vibe. I would say analog man would fit that vibe. I would say, um, Bondi effects fits that vibe. Um, I think you fit that vibe of, um, from what I can pick up on, but before I get there, I'm going to rock the boat a little bit here. I, I going to say, sorry, not sorry, but I, I, I'm going to come at this from a slightly different angle here. If that's all right. Sure. Any objections? No, I'm going to start cursing soon though. So just get ready. If you're going to okay. rock the boat, I'm going to rock the boat. <laughs> I will Ooh, do. <laughs> let's do it. Cool. Woo. All right, I just, I just sent my wife a text message to, I said, bring me another beer. And then I realized how bad that sounded. <laughs> At least say, please bring please. me a beer and make me time. a sandwich. Yeah. No, don't do that. Eat or den. I won't, I won't say. Um, that. All right. Sorry. Continue. All right. I think there is a thing such, such a thing as selling out. Um, and the definition of that, I'm going to go with, if you're compromising your values that you initially stuck to, unless you're like, of course it's okay to evolve with your values, but if you're compromising your values for the paycheck, I think that's when we start to get into the, the ballpark of selling out. Mm -hmm. And I think that the line there is a little bit gray. I'm not going to pretend like they're, they're it's cut and paste or cut and dry. Um, but for a little bit of context, me, uh, I, I grew up listening to Seattle grunge. And of course there's all the, stuff like Nirvana hating on the record label and so on and so forth. Uh, but then when I was in middle school, 2007, Cerebrellis dropped the song called Love Song. Anybody familiar? I am, and yes. I know the genesis of that song, and I would love to to yap about it forever. So we could let yap about it forever, but just real briefly, my basic understanding is, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is like the basis of how I view record labels, is Cerebrellis is told by the record label, I need you to write a love song. I need it to be this, this, and that. You need to pump it out because we're paying you to do so. And um, this isn't about your artistic expression. This is about you fulfilling your artistic duty. And so she wrote the song that says, I'm not going to write you a love song just because you asked for it, just because you need it. And it's just the super sassy clap back to the record label. Am I completely off base no, here my whole life? You're, you're fully right that that song's about, I think, specifically Amanda Ghost. And as was the song um, King of Everything. She ah. was a very, very um, rude record producer she also co-wrote you're beautiful by james blunt so feel free to hate on her well no no, i'm not hating on sarah Bareilles no no no, no, no no amanda ghosted sarah Bareilles is fantastic i'm reading the sarah Bareilles wiki page right now and it's not super informative but it does it does hint at the the tension that we're that we're talking about yeah um amanda ghost was not um a very pleasant person to have as a an employer apparently hmm. but i think she ran I she ran um epic epic records ah yeah but um she was she wasn't very um i don't know she was kind of hard line you kind of wonder how she would have fared if she had been a man but also it doesn't ex excuse rude behavior yeah so th that's kind of where i started to learn what it was like to sell out and what it looks like for someone to say, you know, no, I'm not going to sell out. I'm going to write this song. It's basically just a big middle finger to you and what you want to be. I'm going to do my own thing, my own artistic, artistic creation. And I just, when I was a kid, I thought that was the coolest thing. And I don't know. I, that's something that I've always respected um, given my understanding of the situation and what all that entailed. I mean, that's very cool. 
Can I rock the boat? Rock the boat. Gale, rock the boat. So, I don't know very. I don't know nearly as much about this song as you guys do, but I'm. I have a question that might um, pose some interesting ideas. So, do you think that Epic Records would have released this song or even allowed it to be recorded if they had not thought that whatever the result resulting fanfare or buzz about it would have benefited the label oh certainly not i mean well they don't really have so much say on um like what you record i mean you kind of pitch them an idea and then you do it but i obviously they heard something catchy as hell in that song that i'm sure sarah Bareilles intended that song to be catchy as hell yeah. yeah. I mean, it was still her art. It was still so great. And I think that the story behind it, I don't remember that story um, from when the song was released. I just remember hearing about it later. Sure. Same. But I'm, I just think it's interesting that like, it's, you know, a song standing up to the label, but at the same time, the label put it out and made S loads of money off of it. Like, Oh yeah. It's well, a- I, I think it's completely fair to say that a lot of that kind of stuff or like the, the drama that we see in popular music, it, it could definitely be manufactured for the, for the record sales and whatnot. And I don't know. I mean, that happens and um, that happens in everything that's entertainment, manufactured drama. You think about, yeah. um, I don't know if you fellows watch NASCAR. I used to work in formula one and the drama and that is so manufactured. It's, it's, it's incredible, but people eat into it because the only thing that's more exciting than watching cars go, you know, 300 kilometers an hour is watching cars go through. I don't know how fast that is. It's 180 miles per hour, I think. Um, was, I th- um, don't, I, I'll quote myself on that, I guess. Um, Sounds about right. Watching cars yeah. go really fast. The only thing more exciting than watching <laughs> cars go really fast is watching cars go really fast and imagining that these dudes hate each other. It's like WWE, but faster. Um, all right, so let's <laughs> let's. All right, so we're here. We're gonna take this conversation. We're gonna start moving into the gear community. So, as it stands, Emily thinks that there's no such thing as selling out. Brian has just asked a lot of questions, <laughs> and I think that there is such a thing as selling out. And I've given a brief definition of what that looks like, but whether or not this applies in the gear community, we're about to get into. And since I went last for the first round, I, I would love to go first this time but but, but Andrew, my first can i ask you we disagree yeah. is this manufactured drama i don't think that's the point here. <laughs> I'm just it, it so very sorry. well could be and that's fine my point in telling the story was just simply saying this is where i'm coming from this is where i got this idea of it's this is selling out and feeling all gung-ho and that fueled my punk phase of like yeah screw the man so i think they say damn the man in empire records right Sorry. Sounds about right. Yeah. Probably. I think um, if you guys are really manufacturing drama, you need to be yelling more. I mean, or we could just drink a little bit more and chat. Yeah. That Yeah, that could work. I'm too. not that kind of a uh, drinker. You I'm more of a uh, more of a pub kind of guy, not a club kind of guy. There. <laughs> I'm more That's, of a drink like at home kind of gal or guy. Yeah. All right. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, Andrew. Let's. Talk about the gear no, industry totally and right. selling out. Yeah, gear industry. So. All right, so this is we're we're like forty minutes into this episode, and uh, now we're finally getting to the good stuff. 
here's here's why this is important to the gear industry and why I think this conversation needs to be had is because I hear a lot of folks complain about certain companies who get to a certain size and say, man, you know what they just sold out or it's just a gimmick or it's all just a marketing scheme and their stuff kind of sucks. And whether or not their gear is quality or not, I don't think really is the point here. Um, but it's more of a, are they doing this because they love the industry? They love the music and creating the music in the pedals, or are they doing this just to get rich? And what point is that selling out and what point is it not? And so someone might say a small company that stays boutique, that only hires a couple of people and they only put out small batches, that that is like, that is the, the heart of the pedal industry is folks like that. And then the larger companies who do have like a LLC licensing and they're big and they license out to Iran. They, their vendors are Guitar Center, Sweetwater, Chicago Music Exchange. And then they've completely sold out. They're just doing it for the money. And maybe I'm the only one that's heard that, but I've heard people say this kind of stuff. I'm like, well, okay, well, is that really selling out to want to be successful in your business? And where, do, how do we feel about that with the gear industry? And not that I want to like put quash or put any blanket statements on the gear industry necessarily, because every company is a little bit different, but I think that's a mindset I've heard quite a bit. And I think it's worth us discussing. I think having Brian on the show creates a, a great dynamic for us to, yeah. to talk about yeah. that. My, I mean, my instinct is who starts a business to not make money. And with that, I'll turn it over to Brian. Yeah. So, so maybe, yeah, I can offer some perspective. I think that I, I don't know of another industry like, maybe guitar pedals or we could just say gear in general like or boutique gear or like handmade music amps, related. guitars yeah amps guitars cables accessories whatever um i don't know of another community that is like as driven by diy um in the sense that a lot of the companies that we know did not like start in a boardroom like they started in a garage where someone was interested in learning more about like, oh, what's a low capacitance cable do? Oh, I think that's cool. I want to make my own. Oh, cool. That wasn't that hard. Okay. Now I'm going to like start to think about building cables for my friends. And then, oh, I got my first order. And then now all of a sudden I have this cable company or same thing for guitar pedals. I think a lot of it starts that way from that this like general, a lot of the people in it have this very similar personality trait, which is like the thirst to know how to do something and make something kind of like mm -hmm. maker culture, I guess. Um, and they're not starting out like, oh, I worked in a restaurant and I want to start the new like Michelin star rated restaurant. So now I need like a business plan and investors and blah, blah, blah. It's like literally... I was modding pedals for my friend and now all of a sudden I have a website and now all of a sudden, like I probably have to pay taxes and now all of a sudden like this artist approached me about sponsorship and it like sort of grows in that right. way. It's, it's a lot more uh, organic to use yeah. a buzzword. Yeah, sure. Um, but I do think that like there's this ethical position that can inform the direction of whether or not the company could be quote unquote selling out um, where it becomes more about 
we need to sell 10,000 units of this product. I don't care what the product is, but we need to make a product that sells that many. And then we might take a few shortcuts or we might take a peek at the circuit that we heard about from so-and-so and maybe we might copy it or like that kind of thing. Um, and that's where the sort of like, to me, the, the difference is a lot of these smaller companies, they're just not good at business and they're focused purely on the product and the love for, of, of building stuff. And then Which there's nothing wrong with that, but if their goal is to progress, they need to get that business acumen. Going. But that's not natural. Sure. And a lot of people, if you have, you know, if your experience is in building pedals and your experience isn't in marketing, but if you come from a yeah. business background, then it's kind of the opposite where first you're a business and then you're a gear person, or you can get to that point where you grow so quickly that then you need to start taking shortcuts because you want to make sure the people you hired still have jobs in a month and a half. Yeah. Right. I mean, not everybody's like, yeah, I'm going to like maybe scale up this business and see what happens. And the next thing you know, like you've got a bunch of employees that you haven't paid in a couple months and you haven't fulfilled a bunch of orders. And then you're trying to take a whole bunch of money for new orders, even though you haven't fulfilled old ones. And the next thing you know. Oh, man, that hits way too close to yeah. home. Too close to home. Oh, I know gosh. what you're talking about. Andrew. Well, we'll Maybe we'll go there. I mean, oh, gosh, time. if we can ever name names, but no, probably not. But I think there's this idea. I but I think about um, you know, the gear industry is a little bit like the entertainment industry in general, which is you know where my background is is in entertainment. Sometimes things blow up so quickly, and you have no like little control over the hype that people build around your for lack of a better word, brand. I mean, you think about people like 1981 or um, Quiet Theory. I mean, just not because of anything else. Like, I think they're doing it right where they're they're making a certain amount of things. They're selling a certain amount of things. They're listing things as sold out. Like, I feel like they're doing their best to um, not do this thing that other brands have done. Was who cares if we haven't made it yet? Sell it first. If that makes sense. Sell the idea of it. Well, sell it. It's like sell like, the promise that we're going to deliver something before we've made it. I mean, I know that when I finally got a Quiet Theory, um, the Prelude pedal, it was um, just as consistent. We're going to send an email to our email list. There's going to be a certain number available. And that's all we're going to sell. And then they're going to be sold out. But they weren't like just opening the floodgates, allowing people to just give them unlimited amounts of money knowing that they couldn't fulfill the orders that they were allowing people to place. Well, and I think that's just bad business, that business ethics. I don't think that's necessarily selling out. I agree. But what I would think would be selling out would be for a brand to start using say scantily clad women in their ads. Yes. It, that I think that's a compromise on values and compromising the values of the gear industry. Yeah, I guess the differentiator for me is does will the company do anything to sell or make the next thing? And how desperate are they? Yeah, and not even desperate, but maybe that's just a part of the business model. It's just sort of ingrained in the way that they look at like developing new products. Like it's not about oh, I had this cool idea. It's oh, I saw this cool thing, we have to clone it before it gets popular. Like 
so we can sell 10,000, right? Rather than right before the DIY guy gets to sell however exactly. many DIY kits. And let's talk about cloning. I know that's sure. a, I mean, everyone's talked about cloning. It's a hot topic, but um, I mean, Andrew and I don't have a ton of experience in this whole world of, um, for lack of a better word, electronics. Yeah. I've briefly dabbled, but I wouldn't even, I couldn't build a range master from, from no, scratch I mean, if I, I wanted to. I could solder, I can cut off one of those little, circuit. like, little, um, like, flesh colored boards, like, but I, I, I don't understand it. But Brian, you understand it. So we'd love to hear your perspective on Not it. Not really, but I'll try. I know what a breadboard is. Does that make me qualified? Yeah. Yay. I have, yeah, I have breadboards in my kitchen too. I have them in my kitchen, oh, but they're different kind of bed, oh, breadboards. See, you started the puns, and now I'm going to have to start making tree puns just to kind of spruce up the atmosphere <laughs> Guys, a little no bit. Pun. Come yes, on, pun free zone. Last okay, no puns. Next, five, sorry, next sorry. five minutes, no puns. Okay. I make no promises. Yeah. <laughs> okay, dads. <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah, so I don't know. Cloning is, is a complicated but also very simple thing, I think, for a lot of people. And it the difference between, in my opinion at least, like the difference between like truly understanding the nuance, like in, in this world, it really does come down to like, do you actually know like what that circuit is? And if you don't, then it's very simple and easy to say either, oh, hey, cloning sucks, I hate it. Or, hey, it's just another clone, who cares, everybody does it. I don't actually really know why it's a big deal. And explaining why it's a big deal sometimes from like builders' perspectives is like really difficult. Um, so, like, I don't know. I mean, and we kind of talked about this before we started recording, but the idea of like the big muff, right? Like, should the big muff never be cloned? Like, is it unethical to clone a big muff or improve upon a big muff and sell it? And like, that's a question I don't know the answer to. And some people say, well, it's fine because, you know, it's such an old circuit and the new ones don't really resemble the vintage ones and the vintage ones are $800. So I'd rather pay $250 to a boutique builder and get essentially the same thing, but you're still stealing from electroharmonics. Like, what does Mike Matthews have to say about that? Like, who, like who, who's thinking about taking, you know, food off their table? And that's a really sort of interesting, nuanced position. And if you don't understand, like, the differences in the big muff circuits or what's currently available, you might just say, hey, they all kind of sound the same. It's kind of messed up that this builder is making something that sounds the same based on this other thing. Um, and then there's this whole concept of, like, the the legality of it right this is like if you've ever read the forums there's always like an armchair lawyer that pops in and is like oh you can't you can't patent electronic schematics like no one no one owns electricity therefore no everything's fair game right right um and then and then it's like okay well you don't even have a discussion then right like i can take that schematic drawing redo it on my own computer or you know, notepad, and then it's yeah. Mine. Brian, tell me more about that Gale. Yeah, what, what about it? I mean, I mean, I mean, <laughs> um, when you think about patents, it's insane to me that and I'm going to name names that um, Pedal Train can patent their pedal board design, but that you can't patent yeah. the a PCB. Well, you can patent. Well, your PCBs are protected under like artistic copyright, 
So like as if far you, as like the layout, yeah. right? Exactly. So if you if you look at the but layout, the like if right. So the 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 technical drawing, the the schematic of like what components are where, and because. Yeah, you cannot. So if one person takes one, looks at one schematic, one PCB, where, for for example, somebody used um, two um, resistors of an equal amount or whatever, and it was almost an error that someone could go through, do almost the same thing, and just instead of doing the two identical of a separate amount, just do the double, and it would be it would be fair game. Is that what you're is, do you, do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, but even further, it's it's fair game to to go find Mike Matthews' original Big Muff drawing, or he actually co-designed it. Find that and then whip it up on my my like CAD program, and then I own that now. So, like in theory, Brian, I could purchase a Gale from you. Yes, I'm not saying that I would ever do this because yeah, because we I, don't know how. I'm, I'm lazy. Well, you wouldn't oh. be able to find the transistors that make it sound that good, so. They're magic. Well, well, you could, I guess. Actually, you could. That was a bold statement. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't contest it if I wanted to. But let's just say, in theory, I bought it from you. I opened it up. It's not gooped up. And I, I can, let's say, in a fantastical sense here, that I'm smart enough to be able to sort out the schematic on my own. And I recreate it. And I build 10,000 of them. And I sell them for less than what you're selling. I beat you in business. Theoretically. And I just name it something else and do my own artwork. There's nothing you could do to me legally. Is that right? Um, yeah. In this case, no. And 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 if you have like a novel, patentable sort of concept, you can like there are those in uh, the electronics world. They're few and far between. But like, I'll give you a, a vintage example. Like Fender and Marshall, they they went into the tube manuals from like general electric they have a tube they they, they sell a vacuum tube and mm -hmm. they they also produce these manuals in which electronics designers and engineers could could build like basic circuits off of the tube to understand how they worked like a lot of their products came from this you know this tube manual and so like essentially you know leo fender didn't necessarily like invent the five F one champ, but general electric gave them the sort of building blocks on how the tube behaves and they made it, um, they made it work for, for the product that they were releasing. And, you know, this is like the 1950s. This is like, you know, forever ago. And, and, and that was totally legal because it was a published schematic for educational purposes or for reference. And they, essentially built a really cool guitar amp off of that and turns out it sounded good and now you know they're worth a thousand dollars or but whatever. what if you in today's day and age were to put some sort of diy educational schematic for a pedal on the internet um with the um express note that this cannot be used for commercial purposes for example i use a tool um a video editor and as I was playing mm -hmm. with it, it said, you can't use, um, these are for personal use only. If you want to do a video for profit, you need to purchase the, the larger package. Um, what if you were a person who saw these free schematics for educational purposes, not for profit on the internet, and then use those to, um, to create a pedal that you then did sell for profit? 
what's the legality of that as far as you know, other than that it's just a rude thing to do? Um, I guess I would say that you it's only illegal if you get sued or you get caught. So that like the example you gave actually does happen and has happened. And like if the original person or group does not pursue action, then it's sort of like F you like, there's nothing you can do really do about it unless you choose to um, pursue it. Um, And then that's, that's when, that's when that like, so think about it like this, if you've got a huge company, that says, "Hey, I like that DIY circuit for for the example you're giving. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna steal it and I'm gonna turn it into a, a product. And I'm uh, you know maybe I'm a ten million dollar a year revenue company, guitar pedal company. And you're 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 basically putting a DIY website in a position of saying, "Am I willing to to hire a lawyer to pursue this action?" and I, I'm, I've never been in this position, but I would say 99.99% of the time, they're not going to, one, be able to afford it, or two, like, want to interrupt what their sort of objective or goal is, which is to, like, further the knowledge and understanding of, of guitar pedals to, to the public for free, right? Yeah. It's like, I'm going to design a new distortion, or I'm going to go have a $5,000 meeting with a lawyer for an entire day. Just to get started with Just the lawsuit. Just to get started, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's... Like, forget that's it. step 1.0. Right, and so... And then that doesn't even include this, like, nuance, which I feel passionately about, where, like, consumers of of gear don't know and oftentimes explicitly say they don't care <sighs> what it is, as long as it sounds good. If it sounds and, good, if it's got a resale value, so they can make their money back later, that kind yeah. of stuff. And it's a, it's a, it's a fair point, but it's also ignorance is bliss. I've literally, and, I've literally sold pedals off my board when I found out that companies do this, and I, I get that it's really in the weeds for the average consumer who doesn't one doesn't understand like how these things work, and two maybe borderline can't afford it or just doesn't care i mean do you not do you well, not we're care? also talking about a consumer yeah. base a lot of whom which by the, the clothes that they're wearing are made unethically the clothes that they're so. made wearing are made unethically like they don't pay for the music that they listen to like mm-hmm. yeah it's just this long laundry list of like apathy yeah i will say though in a, like i don't know gleaming light of inspiration or hope that the gear industry is very tight knit. And um, even if you're a small person, small fish in the sea, like, like we are like access to the engaged and like giving and positive companies is easy access. Like there are companies that are big names that are like doing really cool new things and are really supportive of other people that I can like, Facebook chat or like text or whatever, just because they have that sort of like collaborative mentality. And then, and then sort of like the, the sort of black sheep that we're, you know, sort of alluding to, you know, these unsavory sort of, maybe these are the sellouts we're talking about. Like they don't participate in those communities anymore. They, there is this sort of layer of 
insulation between them and the place in which they came, which is for most of us, it's the DIY community. And so it's not hard to like see or pick out which, which, you know, those companies are, but they're, 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 they're not accessible to the starting out fuzz builder who wants to learn more because they don't care about that anymore. They care about, you know, what's going to make the next dollar. And I think at that point, I think we've finally struck the note of what selling out is in this industry. I don't know, I'm just going to throw that out there. I could, I don't know. I could be totally wrong. And that's something I'm going to say a lot throughout this podcast is I could be completely wrong. And listeners, if you disagree with me, please put me on blast. Please tell me I'm wrong. I'm not, I'm not above being called out. Join our Facebook group and yell at Andrew. Yes. Do that. Please. <laughs> I'm going to do it. I'm actually on, on the, I'm going on. Oh, right you now. are. You're going to yell at Andrew. I'm logging in. I'm logging in. So could someone for me, please summarize what selling out is in the gear industry. I'm not even sure. Okay, well, so here's here's going to be one of my few moments in the show where I'm going to get a little smug and I'm going to try and tie it back to something I said before is uh, the idea of compromising on the principles that you maybe started out with or kind of a, just a general set of acceptable moral principles and you're going back on those or ignoring them for the sake of the dollar. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, and then like in the case of my perspective of like the nitty-gritty electronics thing being willing to overlook the sensitive considerations that you should be making when you're designing or borrowing or being inspired by um, for the sake of the dollar, I guess. Yeah. And even if it's completely legal, I mean, I don't know. I, I I'm of the belief that legality has nothing to do with morality. I think a good legal system follows a good sense of morality, but that's not always the case. Um, yeah and the details of that can be a conversation for another time but just because i could totally rip off your your gale brian yeah um and again in the in the fantastical sense of the word of in theory if i was smart enough to i could um that's giving me a lot of credit here but just because i could it would be really terrible of me to just do that to you Let's say if, sure. I, I, if, if I'm from a company that make, brings in $10 million a year and I could do it and I could just make no mention of you whatsoever and market, oh, this is my brand new thing I've been working on for years, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, that, that's a total jerk move to undercut well, that's, you. That's, that's just unethical. Yeah. I, don't, I think that's kind of past um, selling out and just getting into straight unethical. Well, I think it's selling out because you're doing it for the money. You're doing it for the notoriety. You're doing it for the, the things that when someone says so-and-so sold out, the the assumption is that that person is going after this certain but selling out goal, but selling money, out for fame, money like as an artist isn't necessarily unethical in fact it rarely in my opinion is i mean if you want to say that if you sell your music to a commercial to be used in a commercial there's nothing unethical about that it's just it is chasing the money but there's nothing there's no hopefully no theft there's no hurting of anybody. Hopefully right. there's no like demeaning of any group of people. And those are the things like when I think that people sell out and I, I think that people rarely truly sell out indie bands, at least I feel like it's, are you doing harm? And if you're just, if you're just looking to make, you know, your money, I don't think you're, you're probably not doing any harm. If you're stealing somebody's idea, if you're stealing somebody's product and their years of hard work and then, trying to, to, to pawn it off as your years of hard work, 
like if you just straight up take that DIY pedal board schematic for an amp um, in a box and then you make your own and pretend that you spent years, that's um, that's just lying. So I just feel like there's a difference between lying. Yeah. Lying is not illegal I mean, though. I mean, in a lot of yeah, places. it's not. But it doesn't. But it's. But I think yeah. that um, in the acceptable behavior in the society that we've created, it's 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 not acceptable typically to lie um, to sell product. I mean, and people do it. People do it. Like they're so, like, it's in some very small circles is considered improper but i think that by and large if you ask a, like, if you ask a child is lying okay they're going to say no even though they do it all the time right yeah so i think where we're at is i i would put that in the classification of selling out you wouldn't but i think we all can agree that that's super screwed up and that we don't like that and that we're willing to put our money where our mouths are in terms of what companies we're willing to buy from and what companies that we refuse to represent with our uh, totally with our boards Totally. And you know, it's, it's like unfortunate that like, I don't know, this is what I always come back to when I think about this topic, which is I'm not going to go out and like spend my time bad mouthing and utilizing like sort of my understanding of, of what's behind the scenes to like educate people. And maybe that's like what I should be doing. I don't know. And so like for most of the population who don't, you know, care or even understand where to start to begin to care, like they're never going to even know. They're just going to be, they're going to be sort of sucked in by whatever, you know, marketing or what they yeah. see on Instagram or, or whatever. And they're going to, they're going to buy that pedal. They're going to buy that amp and they're, and it's going to sound good. And it's just, they're not going to care. And that's a, that's really frustrating. Um, perspective to be coming from because um you wish that everyone knew and were making super informed decisions because if that were the case like those companies wouldn't exist yeah because most people most people are good and but i don't think enough people gaf you know right what does that stand for give a frig (laughs) give a frack give a fuzz sake uh, <laughs> give a fuzz. No, um, we haven't released this episode yet, I and I have literally no idea when we're going to release it. But I'm call- calling it the long bleep because <laughs> Layla, um, City from Tunatone and I had a nice conversation that involves some, um, me quoting somebody saying something very bad. But um, yeah, I mean, ooh, yeah, you'll you'll like that one, Brian. Um, but um, cool. I mean, I'll I am the it. kind of person who. I mean, I literally sent um, an email to a gear, a company that supplied gear that we've discussed uh, without name earlier in the episode. Gear supply company? Whoa, he did it. It's fine. (laughs) And um, I basically sent them an email that asked like, hey, as you know, a woman was very important to me is supporting and promoting women in the industry. And I, I just noticed that, you know, you never really talk about women. You don't really sponsor very many women. You sponsor one woman and you had this kind of nasty tweet about women on your page. And I was like, just please give me a reason to keep spending money with you. And I sent them that email and, um, Albert, uh, was the one who responded. Thank God for that company. 
and he was just so sweet and wonderful. Um, and Albert and I um, are, are still friends to this day. But <laughs> there are other things I know about that like whole situation. But um, long story, secret story short, um, that's that's always the kind of person that I've been is I want to spend money with people who have kind of um, the similar idea that I do. Not in all political realms. I don't care about that. I think it's weird to care about like every like just buying from people who have the exact same ideologies as you do. But I want to spend money with people who um, support diversity in the industry. And that's what's important to me personally. And everyone has that different thing that's important to them. And I think that um, if we continue to, to spend our money where our mouth is and where our hearts are, that I think that will foster a really great gear community in general yeah absolutely if if you're if you were listening to this this is an invitation for you to kind of jump in into not that we need to spend more time looking at pedals uh because i know i spend way too much time doing it but if you're getting please join us in doing the research on what companies are on your board and yeah i mean make your own decisions we're not going to tell you what decisions to make because i think that really comes down to what you believe, but I think a lot of people would be surprised like when they look at the companies that are on their board to find out some of the history of that. And they might be shocked. I mean, I've, I've been in the place before I've had a company um, represented on my pedal board and I found some stuff out after I owned their stuff for a while and I was just shocked and I ended up selling all of it. I didn't want anything to do with them. So, I mean, if that's where you're at, join us, let's be informed. Let's be a part of this community be more intentional with who we're supporting and why. And with that, yeah, I think we should probably start. Right, we've gone way longer than we normally go. This is it is. Be we're not going to cut it into it. No, Sorry. it's been a great conversation, and yeah. oh, this has been wonderful. I could easily yeah. do this for like another three hours. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, to everyone listening, thank you so much for for listening. Please, um, don't just follow us on social. Please look into Spruce Effects. The Gale is a really incredible thank pedal. It's just so, it just seems so versatile. I haven't played with it yet. I'm probably going to buy it really soon. I'm just waiting for some invoices to go through. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for listening and thank you for understanding uh, where the Get Off Set podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Andrew. I'm Brian. Yes. Temporarily. And uh, <laughs> we hope to uh, hear from you all soon. Yeah.